we're going to continue wrap up our series on cadence and I want to start this morning by turning our attention on a couple of things some recent things and what I've called this is a different take on cadences. Uh, we usually think of cadences in terms of music and poetry, but I want to look at it a little different way. But before we get into that, I want to remind us that we just came through our 20th anniversary, 20th birthday. And I wanted to have you take a look at that from a different vantage point. Um, we're all Westerners. We have kind of a, a, a Greek worldview. But our Savior is a Hebrew. And the word of God has come from the Jews. We owe an awful debt of gratitude for all that God has done. But I want us to take a, a little different view of of that 20 years, not from a Greek or a Western mindset, but from a Hebrew mindset. How many of you know what a bar mitzvah is, or have at least heard the term? Okay. Bar mitzvah takes place with Jewish boys at around 12, 13 years old, for those of you who don't know. And the purpose is that it is a rite of passage. You realize that the only places in the world that don't really have rites of passage are here in the United States and in large parts of Europe. Every place else has a rite of passage, which says you have gone from being a child to being an adult. You need those, those affirmations. You need that. Uh, here in the US, we still have children at 40 years old who are playing video games and all kinds of other things. Because we don't have a clear delineation that says, you've gone from a child to a man. Um, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, and it's certainly a thing of, of controversy. And I'll be glad to talk with someone later on. But the notion of teenager as a noun is a human construct. You won't find it in the Bible at all. Young, young men, young women, but there is no such thing as a teenager. But I don't want to rest there because that'll distract us from what we really need to talk about. But I do want to say that it is that issue of going from a child to an adult, 12, 13 years old. We're 20 years old. What does that say about us? We kind of passed the childhood stage probably eight years ago from that, using that particular frame of reference. I've got three sons. Lawanda's tough. She raised three boys. And when my kids were little, for those of you who have raised children, when your children were little, you let them get away with certain things. When they got to be a certain age, you said, okay, no mas. Time to grow up. My 21st birthday was a bummer for me because I knew I had to be responsible. So this morning, I want to talk about cadences, but I want to use that lens that we're not children, that we're 
called to grow up and to mature and to see some things that are going to be necessary because if we don't, it will spell our peril and challenges for the things that we're not just facing at in the future, things that are upon us right now. So let's pray, and then I'll, I'll get started. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you set us in a place where you knew everything that we would face in the time that we face, and you put everything in motion for us that would help us to navigate the times that we are in now. Lord, we thank you that we started we started as those little embryos, and yet we grow and mature on to be men and women who, according to your word, uh, uh, with your church collectively, we represent the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What an amazing call you've placed in our lives, Lord, both individually and together. And so this morning, as we have come before you to exalt your name and to honor you, we lean in now to hear from you your word that you would challenge, that you would provoke us, Lord, that we might go on to do great exploits for you who apprehended us when we were your enemies. How great is your love for us, Lord, that you love us just as we are, and we're grateful that you don't want to leave us that way. And so, Lord, we, we lean in now. Give us ears to hear that which you're saying. Help me that I could be faithful to, to share your word and your heart as well, so that in all is said and done, both the hearing and the declaring of your word would be for your glory. In Jesus' name we ask. We say thank you, O God. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to start in a place that is kind of an interesting one, and I'm going to run through a number of scriptures because I want us to cover some ground this morning that, that helps us understand this issue of cadences. Um, kind of as a little subtext, I want to talk about both passion and perseverance because they're both connected. But beginning in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, that's not in, um, there's no slide on that, but I just, just follow along with me. Uh, this is Jesus, and he's talking with the scribes and the Pharisees. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he, Jesus, had answered them well. This was some of the controversy that surrounded him. And ask him, these are the scribes who are asking Jesus, what commandment is the foremost of all? Well, that's interesting because they're asking Jesus, what's the foremost command? So if you're paying attention to the context, you would find it interesting what his answer is going to be when they say, What's the foremost command? So he goes on then to say, Jesus answered, um, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Anybody notice anything about that answer? If you didn't, well, I'll tell you. Yes, in Old Testament, but it's not a commandment. <laughs> Do you realize that? What's the foremost command? And the, his answer is, it's not a command, but it is, it is a part of the Shema. I want to explain what that is in a moment. But let me go on. It says, it says the second is, is this. You shall love the Lord your God as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else beside him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices, religious things. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. 
Jesus makes a, com- a connection between that understanding of the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength with the kingdom of God. So that should be not only important to the Jews, that's important to us as well. Okay? Now, here's the thing about that. The Shema is, and just, just a little bit so you understand what that is, the Shema is actually a prayer. It's an affirmation. It's the oldest one in Judaism. And basically, the Jews were commanded to pray that way. They would recite that every morning and every evening, twice a day. There's a rhythm that's there in the morning and in the evening. They would recite that as an affirmation. Okay? Notice also someone said the word all. Was that you, Kevin? Someone over here when I said, what did you notice about that? All. Okay, thank you. That's, it's a great observation because this is what it also says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Anybody here feel like they have done that fully? Good, good. We're all honest and we're all on the same page. But let me tell you something. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know what that represents? That's passion. That's passion. Lord, I don't hold anything or anyone over you. Not my wife, not my kids, not my husband, not my job. I love you more than any and all of those. And I will give that preeminent love to you and you alone. Anything else that I place it in is illegal and illegitimate, okay? So it's, it's this passion, and that is what needs to be our motivation. If you're trying to follow rules and laws to be right, or if your motivation is to be right, let me make an adjustment here. If your motivation is, I follow the commandments, I do all the things to be right, that's self-righteousness. It's me saying, I can do this. The truth of the matter is, no, you can't do this. And the more you lean in, the more you're just simply trying to prove yourself right. No, your motivation isn't to be right. Why do I do these things? I do these things, Father, because I love you. What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. What is the expression, the motivation for your love for God? It's my passion. It's my love for you. Why, Father, do I do these? Because I love you so much. I want to be pleasing to you. Your motivation is out of your love for him. And this is what's uh, connected with the kingdom. So I do things because I love you. And, and when I take those things on, in essence, what I'm doing, I'm saying, Father, I'm embracing now, because I love you, your yoke, your word, your ways, your commands, your reign. Why do I embrace all of those? Because, Lord, I love you. And as a son... I want to be pleasing for you. So your motivation is then that you love him. So, so the, the, the issue for me is if I love you, then, Lord, I embrace your yoke. I'm going to lead us in a prayer at the end of this today, but the prayer goes like this. It's actually an affirmation, kind of like the Shema. Abba, Father, my Father, I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength, and I take your yoke upon me. I'm embracing and changing all of those things because I love you. 
Now, let me give you real quickly some, some definitions because I want to tie this kind of passion with the notion of what we all face of these rhythms. There's some words that were used, and I want to real quickly by review give definitions again, and I want to in particular note something that Pastor Michelle said when she started the series at the beginning of the month, and I would be willing to wager if I were a betting man that most of you can't even remember what, what the definition or the meaning of the word was, but I won't start there. We'll start with cadence. Cadence, it's the flow or rhythm of events, especially the pattern in which something is experienced. It's a cadence. Rhythm, um, <laughs> Rhythm is a movement or procedure with uniform or patterned occurrence to a beat, accent, or the like. We usually think of rhythm when it comes to music and poetry. But I don't want to talk about music, and I don't want to talk about it. I want us to look at that in another way, because every day, this very moment, we are all participating in a number of rhythms that are affecting our lives and how we live. Rhythm, when you think about it, these patterns, they involve two things in particular, time and intervals. Time and intervals. You see that? You see that? And so um, it's, it's important for us to get that because that really regulates our lives, and you're going to see in a moment how important those things are. The third definition that I want to kind of unpack, and this one is going to be a little more technical. Technical. I loved it when Pastor Michelle brought this up because all of a sudden it, it was a revelation to me. There was something that I saw in that that just painted the whole of what God had done, and that is called circadian rhythms. How many of you even remember that she used that word first of the month? Honestly, now, how many of you remember? Okay, one, two, three. A couple of nerds out here remembered that word. So you can join my category. But circadian rhythm, now listen to this, because it involves time again, and it involves intervals. Circadian rhythms are physical, mental, or behavioral changes that follow a 24-hour cycle, okay? 24-hour cycle, circadian rhythms, okay? Now, those natural processes respond primarily, and this is where it's important to understand because I want to say in terms of what follows, light and dark and affect most living things. Circadian rhythms respond to light and dark. Um, and they affect animals, plants, microbes. Let me tell you a part of uh, what's a circadian rhythm, sleeping and the waking hours. That's circadian rhythm. There, there are actually four of them, and I just want to run real quickly because you'll start to see some other patterns that I need to mention if we're going to understand how important those things are for what God's called us to. There's circadian rhythms. There's ultradian rhythms, which is less than 24 hours. That's a biorhythm and a 
you don't have to uh, remember all of the terms, but I just want you to catch the concept. Regular biological cycle having a period of less than 24 hours, such as the movement of blood through the circulatory system. That is an ultradian rhythm. Your blood is moving through your body at a certain rhythm and pace. Your heart is pumping. That's a rhythm that affects how you live. Then there's infradian or circulunar rhythms. Those are biological uh, cycles having a period of more than 24 hours, such as the migration of birds or the human menstrual cycle. So all of these are things that are rhythms that are going on, whether you know it or not, like it or not, they, they've all been set and they're around all of us. And then there's finally a, what's called a circ-annual circ, circ rhythm, which has to do with hibernation and the migration of birds and that kind of thing. That's not so important for us. But the thing that's common in all of those is that they all cycle around that 24-hour period. And that's the thing that we need to understand. Uh, now, I, I want to move real quickly through a couple passages because I want to talk about rhythms that we all face already. And I want to talk about two in particular that we face. The church has rhythms. Again, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Michelle referred to this. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, this is what it says. They were continually, this is the church on the first day, by the way. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all in any, as anyone might have need. Day by day, it says in verse 36, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We've all read that many times, but I want you to understand that the Lord set the rhythms at that point on the day of Pentecost. He set the rhythms there. And there's some things that you need to understand about those rhythms. First of all, she mentioned this, the fact of devotion. It says that they were all devoted, continually devoted to the apostles' teachings. Now, that several things happen on that day, and I believe that these are things that will fuel and maintain our passions so that we can persevere and continue on. Four of them in particular that we need to be aware of. She mentioned the issue of devotion. We need to stop there and think about that word devotion, because what it means is to be profoundly dedicated to that. Not just to acknowledge, yeah, these are things. You are profoundly dedicated to four things. The four things are this, the apostles' teaching. Do you re mm. They were dedicated to the apostles' teachings. Now, most of us don't think really what that's about. And, and understand that I, I appreciate that there is, there is this larger category of the Word of God which we are all committed to. But that comes in a lot of different ways. But specifically here, it says the apostles' teachings. Most churches subside on a diet of pastoral sermons. 
But this was very clear. This was the apostles' teachings. Doesn't say the apostles' sermons. The apostles' teachings. They were profoundly dedicated to that. Here's the issue. When it comes to God's word, one of the things that, that uh, Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the rhythm, by the way. You eat, you eat in these intervals, in these patterns. And so what happens is this. You live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If all you're living on are the pastors, that, the, the words that are coming through Pastor Michelle or the things that are coming through my teachings or some radio pastor, guess what? You don't have enough. You're not getting enough of the word of God. It's not just simply what you're going to get here. And guess what the rhythm for that is once a week? How many of you could live on just eating once a week? How many of you would even want to try to live on just one meal a week? See you next week for the next meal, folks. No, you wouldn't dare do that in your physical body because your body needs that. What would happen to your strength and stamina if you only ate once a week? And even once a day isn't enough. So do you start to see how these, these rhythms and these patterns, we really need to step up our game because it has an effect upon us. At, okay? So if, it, if, if, you know, don't get condemned by it. If you don't have enough of the Word of God, kick it up a notch. And you need to get more of the Word of God in you. You need to not only do that when you're together, you need to do that on your own. Okay? So they were profoundly dedicated to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. That word is koinonia. It means everything, having things in common. It doesn't mean cookies and donuts on Sunday morning. It means things in common. They lived in a community atmosphere and mindset. Their lives, they lived together. Let me say this again. Their lives, they lived together. They had things in common. What did they have in common? They had Jesus in common. They had one another in common. They had their possessions in common. They had everything in common. Why they lived together. As a matter of fact, it said they were selling property so that those who had needs would get their needs met. Why? Because your need now represents my need. Okay? It's not that, that you have this need. That's now my need. And if I got the means to meet it, then I do that. So they were profoundly dedicated to fellowship. Koinonia. If all you got is Sunday, you don't have enough. And I would dare say this, especially because Jesus is the one who's setting the priorities and the rhythms you need to make adjustments to realign your lives around his rhythms and not look as though somehow he's interrupting your rhythms. Okay. Lord, help me. Um, the breaking of bread. I, I can't spend a lot of time with this, but these were covenant expressions. Communion. And they literally took their meals together. Communion was not a part of an, an act or a sacrament that just took place in a solemn way on, on a, once a week. It was a part of a meal that they shared together. And you see that in, in, in this passage. They took their meals from house to house. Part of the meal was that we break bread together. And then prayer, prayer, prayer. <sighs> Praise, thanksgiving, intercession, petition, adoration. Let me add one thing about prayer. 
that they were profoundly dedicated to? Fasting. Fasting. Jesus talked about not if you fast, when you fast. That's not a part of, then kick it up a notch. Oh, by the way, let me go back to the Word for a minute. Something that I just recently began doing in more and more ways when it comes to the Word of God. Not only are you reading, but you need to meditate on God's Word. Okay. All right. Um, so those were really the dedications that fuel the passions. The outcomes were they had all things together. They were together. They had all things in common. They were of one mind. How many churches do you know where people are of one mind? The rhythms will do that for you. The more you're with folks and you start to process things together, you start to see things that are alike, and all of a sudden you, you realize, boy, we have the same heart and mind concerning this thing. Uh, and they, they were together, they broke their meals together. Now, here is the rhythm. Here is the rhythm. The time and the intervals. Day by day. Day by day. Today, it's the apostles' teaching. It's fellowship. It's it's breaking bread and it's prayer. Tomorrow's Monday. It's the apostles' teaching. It's fellowship. It's 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 breaking bread and it's prayer. And it's day by day they were doing. And where were they doing that? Where were they taking their meals? From house to house. I don't know how many people are in this room right now, and and it doesn't really matter. But you can gauge. There are all of these people who live in all of these neighborhoods, some close to each other, some not so close to each other, but guess what? The place that everyone seems to have in common is this place right here. You need to expand your thinking and realize that, all right, then we need to enlarge our territory to include all the neighborhoods that are here. One thing is clear. Everybody lives in a neighborhood. There's no reason there can't be prayer walking in every neighborhood that's here and outreach in every neighborhood that's here. Because after a while, what that's going to start looking like is, oh, well, we've got Sunday that we all come together, but now i got Joe who lives just two doors down from me, and we can get together far more regularly, and he can become a part of this work, just like Sally can, who's across the street. And that doesn't depend on Pastor Michelle. That depends on you being profoundly dedicated to the rhythms. All right. Oh, man, got to rush. Got to rush. All right. Those are the church's rhythms, but there were rhythms that God set in place. That's Genesis 1. Just bear with me because I'm going to race through these. Uh, she mentioned these a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to hit them again because I want to I point out a couple things, the light and the dark. Listen to this, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters, verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 4, God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Notice the first thing that God did. He turned the lights on and he said, let there be light. I don't know if you understand how important of a thing that was. Because light, remember what I said now about circadian rhythms. What are they predicated on? Light and dark. That sets the rhythms. And so what God did was to say, let there be light. Do you realize that your sleeping patterns are all based around circadian rhythms? What happens at night? 
You sleep. Chuck is a nurse. Medically, our bodies and most living things are geared around those patterns of light and dark. You sleep at night. You're awake during the day. That's not just you deciding to do that. That's the way God made you. He set you, your rhythms, so that they would be in sync with his rhythms. Okay? All right, uh, let, me, let me keep racing. And there was evening, there was morning the second day. Verse 13, there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Verse 14, then God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for years and days, and let, them be lights in, let there be lights in the heavens, in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night, and he made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. Light and dark. 24 hours, light and dark. Verse 19, there was evening, there was morning a fourth day. There was evening, verse 23, and there was morning a fifth day. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Light and dark, God set those in place for his rhythms. And everything revolves around those rhythms. The principle is that God establishes the rhythms, and we synchronize with those rhythms with his pattern. I'm going to look at a video here. It's going to take about a minute uh, and a half, but I want you to notice something before the video starts. This is about double dutch, but I want you to notice three things because there are rhythms involved. Notice that the rhythm is set before the jumpers jump in. Second thing notice, notice with some of these the intense focus by the jumper on those who are turning the rope. And the third is notice the adjustments to intensity and changes at the turning of the rope. You can go ahead and start those. Look at the flexibility that they have but how it's always in line with the turning of the rope. This one's interesting. Watch her eyes. Look at what she's focusing on. She's not even looking at her feet. She's watching the ones who are turning the rope, following their lead. Even more so. Look at where her eyes are. She's still looking at them, but she's got a smaller space that she's got to jump in. 
And again, notice the rope is going before they jump in. Look at how much they can maneuver all in sync with those turning the rope. They never take their eyes off of those who are turning the rope because their point of reference is the rhythm that's set by the one who's turning the rope. Now, why do I bring that up? Jesus sets a rhythm for us. He said, if any man wants to come after me, he must first deny himself. And then he said, take up his cross daily. Daily. That is a rhythm, saints, beloved, that we need desperately to realign our, our lives around. This issue of daily, because we just don't get it. We are used to weekly rhythms, not daily rhythms. If I'm going to function, I need daily I need a daily rhythm. I need something that sustains me, that causes me to grow, and I need you in order to do that. I can't do that by myself. So the rhythms have to be daily, and I have to keep my eyes. You've got to keep your eyes on the one who's turning the rope because the speed and the intensity with which the rope gets turned will vary based upon not what you're able to, but what he wants for you. How many of you feel like the rope for you has been going really fast? Any of you ever tried jumping rope and you miss the rope? What happens when, when the rope goes down and, and you're down? Everything stops. You got to start all over again, don't you? As long as you can maintain those rhythms, you just can keep going. Well, here is the thing. Jesus said, if any man wants to follow after me, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's and it's daily. So today, I got to deny myself. I got to take up my cross, Jesus, meaning the place that your will and my will cross, and I got to follow you in that. Tomorrow, you know what? Jesus, I got to deny myself. I got to take up the place where your will and my will cross, and I got to follow and obey you. Tuesday, oh, Jesus, I got to deny myself. I got to take up my cross and follow. And so it's Wednesday, and all of a sudden it's Thursday, and all of these things that they were profoundly dedicated to, it's every day. It's not once a week. It's every day. Some cases, it's moment by moment. Now, I, I, I want to get to the end of this because I want you to see how this affects what we're facing. There's not, um, I don't have an overhead for this, but I want you, I want to read two passages and then I'm done. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, 3 through 18. This is Paul. Just bear with me when I read this. And I'll underline a couple of things. I'm not going to comment greatly on it, but I want you to understand what's ahead for him and what's ahead for us. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. For God who said, let light shine in darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give light to the knowledge, uh, light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of darkness. Light's supposed to shine in darkness. Church is supposed to shine in darkness. You're not supposed to be a part of the darkness. You're supposed to sign in, in the darkness. Verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. This is what I want you to pay attention to. For we, Paul says, were afflicted in every way but not crushed. We were perplexed 
but not despairing. We were persecuted, but not forsaken. We were struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Christ so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life works in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us also with Jesus and present us with you for all things that are for your sake so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. In following Jesus, there's turbulence. Not maybe, not might be, there is turbulence. Tribulations, afflictions, trials, and other things that you're going to face. But listen to what he says here. For momentary light affliction, all that he just described is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. All of those things, those intensities, as you adjust to the rhythms and keep your eyes on Jesus as you're going through this stuff, you're not looking at my feet, not looking at the rope. I'm watching his hands. And as he slows down, I slow, as he speeds up, I speed, as, he, as he narrows the window, then I cross down. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's giving me the ability to do that. What is producing in you is an eternal weight of glory. Now, one last thing, and then I'm going to have us all respond to something. Paul writes, we all know in Ephesians 4, talks about those who are apostles and prophets and, and pastors and teachers and so on. 20-year-old Rockside Church. Verse 14 says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him. The imagery there is nautical. And I want us to catch this. Not tossed by waves. With ships. There is something that boats and ships in particular have that stabilize them in turbulent waters. You know what it's called? Ballast. Ballast. Let me give you a definition for ballast. Any heavy material carried temporarily or permanently in a vessel to provide desired draft and stability. Ballast is weight that's put in the boat so it stabilizes it, stabilizes it in turbulent waters. All that you are going through, guess what it's producing? An eternal weight so that when the thing gets crazy, you're not tossed because you've got all of this weight that's been built up as you've been just... And it stabilizes the boat so you are not tossed. Grow up. We don't just acknowledge, we embrace the stop running from your problems 
and lean in. Jesus, you sped the rope up and you'll give me an ability to move my feet. I won't look at my feet. I won't look at the rope. I'm going to look right at you. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer. You lean in. You lean in. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you in John 16, 33, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. He has overcome as we will overcome. Lockside, adjust your rhythms.